Welcome to Activation Energy by the Chemical Angel Network. I'm your host, Selma Duhovic. In this episode, I speak with Jane Melia and DC Poulter. Jane is the CEO of Harvest Thermal. She has a PhD in fluid mechanics from Cambridge University. Before founding Harvest Thermal, she was the Vice President of Strategic Business Development at Quintessence Labs and has held leadership roles in several other startups, including Soul Focus. DC is an angel investor who built and exited two companies. He is a member of the Chemical Angel Network and Tech Coast Angels. DC is a mechanical engineer by training and a marketing specialist by trade with an MBA from UCLA. He is passionate about startups as well as literature. His novel, To Kill a Unicorn, will be released in 2022. He also writes a very popular blog called Pitching Angels. Hi, Jane. Hi, DC. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Selma, thank you so much for uh, for inviting me. It's it's really a pleasure to to have this conversation with you in, in DC. Looking forward to it. Same here, Selma. I love this program and uh, am honored that you uh, reached out to uh, to invite us on. Thank you for the kind words, DC. Uh, let's start with an overview of how homes and buildings are heated, and how that activity ties to energy and greenhouse gas emissions. Absolutely. But maybe before I go there, I just want to, to flag something which was news to me just a few years ago, was that buildings represent more than one third of global emissions. So that's more than transportation. And it's something we really haven't talked about until quite recently. You know, we focus a lot on how do we you know, reduce emissions from our vehicles, also focus a lot on electrification. But buildings themselves are things we haven't really addressed. That's changing right now, which is a good thing. And that's really what we're going to focus on. So one third of overall emissions are due to buildings. But let's have a look at, you know, how do buildings cause emissions? And there there are many different ways. Uh, I guess the good news is that when you look at emissions from a home, two thirds of the energy use overall are due to heating and hot water. Uh, And why is that a good thing? That means that if you can tackle your heating and hot water, you've done a huge step towards reducing your, your carbon footprint. If you just tackle those two things, you've reduced your emissions by a significant amount. Now, the challenge, of course, is that many of us, and myself included, have done things like putting solar panels on our roofs and everything, which is very important, but that's only addressing a small part of the pie. The heating and the hot water are typically caused by using gas furnaces for our, you know, for our heating, gas hot water heaters for our, for our hot water, or sometimes fuel oil or others, and that is not solved by putting solar panels on our roofs. We just need to find a better way to heat our homes. You mentioned the disadvantages of the current way we heat our spaces, emissions basically. Can you talk a bit about the regulations that have been or are being put in place to promote sustainability in this area? Yeah, there is a growing awareness that we need to address this this challenge. And that one way to do it is to figure out how do we heat our homes? How do we heat our hot water? And so there's a groundswell really of awareness and momentum around the world that's really, you know, trying to drive change. So I'm sitting in California. California Building Code, starting in 2023, will make heat pumps the baseline for heating or hot water. And that will make it more difficult and more expensive if you want to put gas furnaces in your your home. This will really help transform the market. 
Um, there are a growing number of incentives to help people put high efficiency heat pump systems in their homes instead of gas. So that's really helping things. Uh, rate schedules are changing, meaning it's more expensive to use electricity in the evening and uh, not in the middle of the day, encouraging people to use storage and help optimize how they use their, their, their heating one, one thing that's interesting is that there are now 55% of Americans now live in places that have committed to significantly reducing emissions. And you can't do that without tackling emissions from buildings. So we're seeing a, a wave of change, be it rate schedules or incentives or building codes, that is rolling out progressively in, in many parts of the United States. More broadly, we have an alignment between the climate imperative, the need to make change which is going to be affordable and cost-effective so that it can scale, and then the new geopolitical pressures. And we're seeing uh, waves of regulations happening in particular in the, in the European Union to try and transition from using gas, be it dependency on, on Russian gas. Uh, for example, in Germany, starting in 2024, when you want to replace your heating system, you will have to put a, um, a heat pump system in. You will be both incentivized and constrained to replacing it by a heat pump system. And what about the U.S. government? Is there any activity there? So there is a lot of interest at the federal level. You know, uh, for the first time this year, I've heard, you know, the, the White House and, and at a federal level talking about heat pump strategies, heat pump policies, the importance and the efficiency of heat pumps. Right now, though, most of the action is taking place at the state level and at the city level and at the utility level. And that's expanding. California has an important role, but so does New York, where the Climate Action Council scoping plan to be finalized later this year calls for the electrification of one to two million homes by 2030. Uh, Washington State is also doing things. I was looking at rate schedules in Oregon. They're very favorable to load shifting and storage and really driving towards a cleaner way of, of heating our homes. So it's happening in many, many states across the United States. And we're seeing growth of a discussion at the federal level as well. So we're shifting from gas furnaces to heat pumps. What exactly are heat pumps? And can you tell me about Harvest Thermal itself? Um, you know, it's, it's core technology and product and its advantages. So uh, traditionally, we have heated our homes and our hot water by burning gas, by burning fuel oil in our homes. Most of us have a gas combustion engine or two sitting in our garage or our tank closet, burning gas to heat water burning gas to heat air for our homes. And that's what we need to transition away from. The wonderful thing is something called a heat pump. And heat pump are devices that move heat, that move energy rather than generating it. They are many times more efficient than even the best gas furnace. A heat pump can operate at efficiencies of 200, 300, 400%. And why? Because what they're doing is they're moving heat in and the amount of electricity they use to move that heat in is less than the amount of energy they're actually moving. So it's, it's really a phenomenal situation. So heat pumps are the heroes in the story about how we electrify our homes. But right now we're at what I would call generation one heat pumps. Because what's happening, our heat pumps, they all operate at the same time. We need to heat our homes in the evening and we need to heat our homes in the morning. That means that the heat pumps are all running at the times when we don't have much solar electricity on the grid. And so we're using gas pica plants to generate the electricity. So we're kind of pushing the problem down into the electricity generation. So they're extremely efficient, they're extremely comfortable, they're extremely reliable, but we could do better. And this is what Harvest Thermal is really addressing. Let's take those really high performance heat pumps, they move energy, they're you know, several times more efficient than the best gas furnace. And what do we do with it? Let's choose to operate those heat pumps 
when electricity is clean and, and very abundant. So what Harvest does is we take those heat bumps, high efficiency heat bumps, and we're going to choose to operate them in the middle of the day when there's a lot of solar electricity on the grid. So that solar electricity is very cheap and, of course, is extremely clean. So as Harvest Summer, we operate that heat pump and we store that heat up in hot water in a standard hot water tank that's just storing the water. And then we deliver it for your heating and your hot water use whenever you need it. So what that means is we have the benefit of the efficiency of the heat pump, but we're also able to time shift it like a time machine using the heat pump when electricity is super clean, basically no emissions, and get, but delivering that comfort whenever you need it. And so it's what I'm calling generation two heat pump systems. We have the advantage of the heat pump without the drawbacks and without the negative implications of the grid. And it has another benefit whereby as well as delivering the cleanest heating and hot water for our homes, it allows the grid to be more resilient. We're not all using heat pumps at the same time. We're using them in the middle of the day when there's a lot of solar. That means that the electricity grid can get cleaner and cleaner and cheaper and more cost effective. So we're cleaning up the grid as well as cleaning up our homes. I don't think I fully understand the connection between Harvest Thermal's solution and the electrification of the built environment. Can you elaborate on how this ties into the resilience of the electrical grid? Absolutely. So electricity is generated by multiple ways. In the middle of the day, we have a lot of solar panels that are generating electricity and that comes onto the grid. But in the mornings and the evenings, depending on where we are, we are often using gas peaker plants, for example. In some places we're using a base load of coal. In some places we have a base load of, of hydroelectric. But what's very clear is that the cost of generating electricity varies a lot throughout the day. And the emissions of electricity generation also vary a lot throughout the day. It's what they call the duck curve. In the middle of the day, we have this belly of the duck. It's low cost and it's low emissions. It's the cheapest and best time to use electricity. And in the morning and the evening, we have we're using dirtier sources of electricity, often gas peaker plants, for example, and it's a lot more expensive because the electricity grid has to ramp up quickly to deliver that load. So electricity grid, all electricity is not even. And what we're doing with Harvest is saying, we're going to use that middle of the day, the belly of the duck, the cheap, clean solar electricity, use that to operate a heat pump very efficiently and store that heat up. And then we release that heat to your home in the evening, in the morning, whenever your family happens to need it, but without using the dirty electricity. That is very helpful for, for our homes. It's comfortable, it reduces bills, it reduces emissions. But thinking about it from a grid operator perspective, it's very helpful because we are using that cheap, clean electricity. Sometimes they have too much of it. They're not able to use all that solar electricity. We are using that up and we're reducing the load in the evening, in the morning, which means that they don't have to use as much gas to generate electricity. And they don't have the same pressure in the evening when anybody, everybody's using electricity. So it helps stabilize the grid and it allows the grid operators to say, hey, I'm going to use more solar because I have companies like Harvest Thermal who are going to use it. Okay, that clarifies things. I'm wondering who buys your product? Are you selling directly to homeowners? So we are delivering heating and hot water systems for homes and these can be for new homes and they can be for existing homes. They can be for small scale and they can be for large scale. So right now we're deploying in a lot of retrofit homes, initially in the, in the California Bay Area, which is where we've initially launched. And we are working with installation contractors who are deploying our systems in homes. So our end customer is the homeowner, 
but we are selling through contractors. And we have 15 now contractor companies in the Bay Area who are deploying our systems. But we're also working with new home developers. And that's really important to offer that opportunity. So we're working with uh, one of the top five US builders in the US, and we'll soon be deploying a pilot program with them. So that's to allow us to also do the new homes as well as the existing homes. The goal is to really help as many people as possible transition from gas to clean electric. Because the challenge is, if you replace your gas system today, Selma, with another gas system, you would have gas in your home for another 20 years. So we need to stop. As systems are coming up for replacement, we need to stop digging that hole and we need to start putting clean electric systems in. So that's why we can work for both existing homes and new homes. And we're ready to deploy right now. You mentioned deployment. Can you talk a bit about the development and commercialization stage you're in? Absolutely. So uh, we founded Harvest Thermal back in 2019, although we started developing the technology in 2017 when I had the issue myself of an aging gas furnace and having worked in in clean energy for a long time, I, I realized I didn't want to put any more gas in. And I found that weren't many good options out there. So we went back to best principles about how do we design this to make it cost effective, to make it super efficient. And that's where the harvest came in. So we've had systems in home since 2018. We are delivering great performance. We now have 16 systems in homes. We have three more going in this week. Every single one is reducing emissions by 90% or more compared to gas. So over 90% for every single home that we've deployed in. And on average, the bills are reducing by 31%. Some, some homes are reducing their bills by 45, 46% compared to gas. So it's really important. We're reducing bills and we're really slashing emissions. Uh, so we're, we're rolling out commercially. We have training programs in place. We have trained contractors. We're beginning to work with new home builders. So we're really ramping up right now. And the, uh, the goal is to get 100 systems in homes as soon as possible, certainly by the end of the year. And that will therefore allow us to ramp up. It is a really perfect time to be working in building electrification and to be doing that in a way that's going to be scalable because, well, obviously for us, it's all about climate and impact and equity. And we get the satisfaction of making progress there. But there's just huge momentum. We've talked about policies. We've talked about utilities. We've talked about homeowners as well as well are very excited to do this. So there is a strong pull. And right now, what we need to do is ramp up our manufacturing get more systems in homes and then be able to scale. So as I mentioned, uh, 100 homes uh, approximately this year, going to the 800 or more next year and then really ramping up and having, having an impact. We've been very fortunate. We raised our, our seed round uh, last year and wanted to shout out to, to DC on the phone, who's one of our uh, investors. So thank you for, for being behind and supporting the growth of this company. So we raised a seed round last year. We've also raised over two and a half million dollars in grants from the California Energy Commission, from the National Science Foundation, from Peninsula Clean Energy, real strong stakeholders in electricity generation who are really supporting the company. Most recently, we received a second grant from the National Science Foundation just a couple of months ago. We have our, and this is might, might be news to you, uh, UDC, our, our first patent was granted uh, just a week ago. And so we had five patents pending. We now have one award and four more pending. So that's really coming. And Everything that we asked for was granted. Every single clause was accepted. So that was that was great. And so it's a question really of ramping up. So I expect to see very significant growth in 2023. We are ramping up that manufacturing, getting these systems in homes, and that's going to allow us to really take off next year. 
That's all. That's all really great news. <laughs> I am so happy to hear that, Jane, and congratulations on uh, on the success so far. I agree. That's really impressive, especially considering that you started only a few years ago. I can see why DC invested. Uh, DC, what was going on in your mind when Jane pitched to you? Everything I heard before a little bit earlier stage, and I said, you know, this makes perfect sense. This is something that's needed. I don't see anybody else doing this, and uh, I'm I'm on board. But let me back up just a, a little bit and kind of explain why I, you know, when I heard that, it's like, okay, this is this is perfect. This makes sense to me because it is a pretty technical thing for for a lot of people. My background is actually in um, technically mechanical engineering. My specialty was energy engineering. Uh, I worked for a little while in computational fluid dynamics, which is kind of a fancy way of saying I use computer programs to figure out what temperatures were, were going to be and let the computers do the hard work for me. And then I spent 25 years in IT. But I got into energy engineering because I thought that was the great challenge of our time. In, in those days, it was more about NOx and SOx pollution. It was about you know not having enough oil and we were going to run out. And then that kind of went away and people thought, yeah, okay, no big deal. We can, we can find more sources of oil. Then climate change really started to be taken seriously. We're starting to see serious effects of it. And, you know, I, I think for pretty much anybody I talk to will say that the overriding great challenge of our generation, of our times right now, is climate change. And I want to be part of that uh, I have a background on the on the energy side. I've also built startups and I invest in companies. So what do I want to invest in? I want to invest in companies that solve that problem. I mean, there's a million apps out there. There's an app for this, an app for that. I don't get excited about that. When I hear Jane talking about how we are going to make a one solution to decarbonization, that gets me excited. So I heard that and I said, yes, tell me more. I'm excited about this. I want, I want to get on board. When I heard her pitch, this is a little bit of an interesting story. Have either of you um, read the book or seen the movie Mosquito Coast? I have not. Okay, you have to. And I was just looking it up, and it turns out they're remaking it right now. It's a new series on Apple. I haven't seen that, so I don't know if it's the same. The original book was written by Paul Thoreau, who's a, a wonderful writer, and they made a decent movie out of it by Harrison. Harrison Ford was the main lead actor and it didn't get that much publicity because, well, what was it about? It was about a scientist who goes to the jungle. This was in early, say early 1900s. And he wants to bring magic. And what does that mean? That means cooling. And so he invents a way to make ice, which is like diamonds in the, uh, in the jungle and air conditioning. And he does it with an ammonia cycle cooling system. It's brilliant. It, in the middle of 100 degree sweaty jungle, we now have air conditioning. We now have cool beverages, but we have an ammonia cycle cooling system. What could go wrong with that? And that's really what the movie is about, is exactly what could go wrong with that. And my favorite line of all time comes from that movie. Harrison Ford, this is Harrison Ford in his prime as a crazy scientist gets up there and says, it's not magic, it's thermodynamics. Now, 
I think <laughs> only a crowd like this could appreciate it. The movie didn't do very well. I mean, everyone loves Harrison Ford as, as Han Solo, a little bit less as a thermodynamic scientist, a little too techie for most, most people. But it was the greatest movie ever because it is about exactly what can go wrong with an ammonia cycle cooling system. Well, we don't use ammonia cycle cooling systems anymore, but we do use gas for heating. What could go wrong with that? Well, you know, we're starting to see what's happening to, to our world and we need to fix that. And so that's a long-winded way of saying when Jane came along with this system that, you know, in the end is, is pretty simple, but it's brilliant. Um, it just kind of turns the tables on how heating and, and hot water work. Like, yeah, we're not reinventing the world. We're just fixing a, a problem with kind of a drop-in solution. Perfect. Let's do this. Let's, everybody needs to do this. Does that answer the question? It certainly does, and very colorfully. It is not, it is not magic. It is thermodynamics, and that's exactly what harvest thermal is. BC, I can absolutely imagine you in the jungle making that claim. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's you. That's you in the jungle. I can see that too, Jane. Um, I like how you describe your motivation behind investing in Harvest Thermal DC. Um, in the last few minutes, let me ask you about the current state of clean tech investing, especially relative to 15 years ago. So maybe Jane, you could start with the micro of being in the trenches and dealing with uh, investors and VCs right now. And I can kind of give the macro view from the other side of what I'm seeing in clean tech in general. So there is a, I'd say an awakening of interest in climate tech, which is a new term used to be clean tech that is stronger than it, than it has ever been. Uh, I was in the trenches back in 2008. Um, in fact, that's when I first started working in, in the solar energy. There was a lot of interest in clean tech at the time. A number of people got burnt. And so clean tech investment actually went through a walk in the desert in the, the 2010s and beyond, because, you know, once bitten, twice shy, you have a couple of bad investments, even though the others are well, that just, just uh, casts a shadow on the overall sector. The challenge of climate change, which of course is accelerating, and the understanding of the need and the value of innovation and therefore investment in there has really changed that story. While we are in a challenging economic situation right now, right this year, as opposed to last year, the interest in clean tech is not waning. And that's because we have a timeline to solving the clean, clean energy problem. Uh, and there are backed by governments, backed by states, backed by utilities. There is a whole momentum supporting that that is really helping it along. So it is a, I'd say, a more subdued environment than it was a year ago. But there is a lot of continued interest in, in climate change solutions, solutions that can have a real impact. So it's, it's um, I, I see it still as, still as good, positive momentum. What about you, DC? As an investor, how do you see today's state of clean tech investing? Yeah, so let me mention I'm a member, as, as you know, some of Chemical Angel Network, which is a nationwide uh, group of uh, angel investors. Uh, most of the members come from the directly chemistry space. There's a lot of PhD chemists. There's a lot of people who worked for 
uh, kind of the big chemical companies. I'm a little bit different. As I said, I come from the mechanical engineering energy side of things, but a, a good fraction of the investments that we see, the companies pitching to us, kind of split. There's like, I think about half of them are life sciences, and there's a lot of innovation in life sciences right now. And then it probably the, close to the other half is about sustainability one way or another. Uh, some of it specifically energy, new materials for batteries, uh, better batteries, different kinds of batteries, flow batteries. And then there's better processes uh, for things like green hydrogen, uh, for things like you know making various chemicals that we, we need and not using oil for them. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of innovation, some of it out of universities, some of it out of you know inventors that are looking at ways of, uh, of reducing our carbon footprint. And that's the reason I joined Chemical Angel Network is because we see so many of those uh, innovations and have the opportunity to invest in those. Just to give a little plug for Chemical Angels, we're, we're looking for, for members who are interested in, in being investors. Uh, we're also looking for other great investments like Harvest Thermal to, uh, to come and pitch to us. And then in a similar vein, we uh, starting this year, we put together a member fund. So previously it was individual investments. Now there's actually, we do individual investments, but there's also a group fund that can, that uh, the members as, as an organization will also uh, invest in startups. So please, uh, please take a look at that. Um, we're not slowing down at all. We're, we're seeing innovation. We're excited about innovation. Um, I wouldn't say we're an easy group. You know, imagine getting in front of a room full of uh, 25 PhDs in chemistry to talk about your new innovation. You're going to get hit on, you know, what is your, your, your actual innovation? What is your patent portfolio? What is your, you know, where are you on the business model? And then most of the people uh, like me have uh, either a big company background or a startup background. So we'll want to talk about the actual uh, economic effect, not just the, the scientific aspect of of the business, but you know, for the for the right opportunity, the right invention, the right business, uh, we're there ready to invest. And there's a lot of other, you know, we're not alone. And there's more and more small funds popping up that are very specific to climate change. There's more and more big funds that are saying we can invest in anything we want. And the thing that matters is climate tech, is decarbonization. And so when we talk about impact investing, we're seeing a lot of that. In, in climate tech. And I think that's great. So as, as an investor, I don't just invest in climate tech, although that's the thing that gets me the most excited. I, I see, a, you know, I see a lot of different uh, companies uh, pitching. And over the past three to six months, there has been a slowdown, a bit of a pullback. Things were rather frothy. Valuations were a little on the absurd side. People were throwing money at pretty much anything, no matter how absurd. And now that the public markets have pulled back, the in, you know the, the angel investors and the VCs are starting to say, "Hey, let's slow down. Let's let's see if there's really a business here." And so it's a little bit harder to get investment now, but. The, uh, there's a lot of money that's already dedicated towards climate tech and that has to be invested. The, and so my feeling and Jane, you know, I'd love to hear, hear your input is that the slowdown is not nearly as, as uh, strong as say in the, in the SaaS space where it, it was crazy and now it's kind of going back to normal. Climate tech never got quite as crazy. It did a little bit, people were throwing money. You know, if you said you had better battery, didn't matter whether you whether you had proven your science or not, there were people ready to invest in. I think that's a bit of a pullback. But if you have a real product 
that has a real benefit and you can show that that is a viable business and, and can scale quickly as, as Harvest Thermal can, that investment's not going away and probably is, is getting uh, stronger right now as, as some of that very early innovation is moving to, to later stage of actually deployment. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you both so much for sharing your insight with me and the audience. Thank you for having us. This was lovely. Yeah, thank you. It's a wonderful conversation. Appreciate it.